you are just you and your pureness and your, your playfulness and your sensitivity and your, you know, it's just so beautiful as a kid. And then all of a sudden you start to get all these messages of how you should act and what you should look like and who you should be in particular for, for women and females. So I think that for me, I was, it was just a protective mechanism. I'm highly sensitive. I've always been that way. And dance felt like a very cutthroat thing. And it was always about growing tougher skin and you need to stop crying. And, you know, this is a hard industry and you need to battle. And yoga did soften a lot of that. It was like, oh my gosh, I have so much armoring around my heart just to protect that little soft person inside. And so, so much of my work and not just with young people, with all of us is, is coming back to who we were before the world told us who to be. Your dreams can be your reality. You all, time isn't real. Okay, that is fucking crazy. Spirituality, manifestation, travel, money, entrepreneurship. Welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Wright. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Rife. I am back from vacation, not sick, don't have COVID, even though I actually think I did and just tested negative because I felt like shit all of last week. And I feel like, again, it was maybe a false negative, but you know what? We're going to go with what the test said and I am negative from COVID. So hopefully you can hear that in my voice. I needed last week off to rest, regroup, not just from feeling sick, but from a 10 day family vacation. If you're on my email list, you got a full Euro trip recap of my highs and lows from each city in Paris and Munich, what went wrong, what went well. And yeah, it was quite the journey. (laughs) I'm like laughing, thinking about it. I already know I'm going to do a full podcast recap. I really, really want one of my family members to do it with me. So we're going to see which one is available and can actually do a podcast with me. But yeah, it was a lot traveling with your family members as a group of adults when you all have your own preferences and schedules and personalities and financial situations is very weird. It's not the same as when you're younger and you're like, come on, everybody get in the car. We're going to Disney. It's like, wait, I want to go do a cooking class. I want to do this. This person wants to sleep in and do this. This person doesn't care. And I'm like, wow, that was a really, really interesting trip to say the least. But like I said, I want to do a full recap on the podcast. And if you're on my email list, you already know. So if you're not on the email list, either DM me at Chelsea Rife and I'll add you or go to my website, chelsearife.com. And right when you get on, there'll be a pop-up box where you can enter your email. And don't worry, I'm working on my website to make all this a lot easier. I want there to be very clear places that you can add your email. I want to make my website a little more engaging and interactive. So don't worry, that's coming soon. But being the Aquarius visionary reflector, whatever else the hell you want to put a label on it, person that I am. I have so many projects going on that the website redesign and the rebrand is taking a lot longer than I wanted, but that's because I'm experimenting. I realized you can actually experiment on social media and in your graphics and with, you know, fonts and textures and colors before you dedicate an investment to a full rebrand. So that's what I'm going to be doing the next quarter is more of an experimentation phase. And then we'll see what I like and don't like and do the rebrand and redesign and everything. So yeah, get ready for that. Get ready for more podcast content. If you saw my Instagram post at Chelsea Rife, 
you saw that this year too, we're going to spice things up. I've had a lot of fun talking about wellness and health and spirituality and business the last year, but now I'm ready to integrate a little more of my life into the podcast, which I was doing for a while before I started my business. But I really want to get back to that, like navigating dating, navigating breakups, navigating travel. That's going to become a bigger part of the podcast as well as sex and dating and relationships. I've never talked about sex on here. I've never had a sex professional on. I've never had a therapist on. I've never had what else? There's so many people, a bunch of authors of books that I would really love to have on. So that's what we're focusing on here at Non-Expert Opinion Podcast in 2022. So if there's anyone that you're dying for me to have on, let them know and then let me know so that they know that I'm a credible podcaster and I can interview really well and I would love to have them on. So yeah, that's the focus, which I'm really excited about. Today is really exciting for me because this person, Ali Maz, is someone that I have been listening to for six months through the app that I am religiously obsessed with, Open. You've heard me talk about it on here in the beginning of podcasts, at the end of podcasts, on my Instagram, I'm always tagging them. And I finally have a co-founding teacher on the podcast that is directly involved with the app. So we talk about Allie's journey way before she was even with open about how her dancer past ended up leading her to yoga, the emotional healing and spiritual awakening that yoga brings transitioning to yoga as a business and not just something to move your body with struggling with an eating disorder, why she founded Girl Vana and what it is. She actually made a whole book out of it too. And it's all about going back to who we were before the world told us who to be. I actually really grilled her on writing a book for young people as well, because I would love to write a book, but for some reason it seems so incredibly daunting. I don't understand how advances work and deadlines and creating the content for it and editing. And we get into it and she's really transparent about how hard it is to write a book. We also talk about the financial side of entrepreneurship, which, you know, is really important to me to add context and transparency to these conversations. So we really open up about being an entrepreneur and the finances that come with it. And of course, being a founding teacher with Open, how she got into it, why she decided to work with them and how is Open different than any other app? Because if you're like me, you're probably like really another app, even though there's Headspace and Calm and Insight Timer and all these other ones that come out. When Open came out, I was like, I don't understand how this is going to be different. And once I did the trial, which by the way, you can grab a 30 day free trial at the link in my show notes. I was like, oh, I get it. This is incredibly user-friendly. You can pick from so many different options. There are so many different teachers. So it's not just one person's voice that you're listening to. And there's a variety based on what you're looking for, like waking up, going to bed, processing anxiety, dealing with grief, dealing with sadness, gratitude, like any emotion or feeling or body part or anything that you want to work on can be found in this app. And so we really open up about how incredible the app is and the community. I think that's really important is Open has really built an incredible community of people, not just a cool app. And so we really get into that too. So just a reminder, if you want to see why I am obsessed with it and why I had Ali on, and I'll be having one of the co-founders on, I want you to try the free trial for 30 freaking days at the link in my show notes. I can almost guarantee you'll be just as obsessed with it as I am. 
And I'm kind of hard to please when it comes to that stuff, because I've been in the mindfulness mindset, spirituality game for a while. So I thought open was going to be a hard sell. And it's really not. I do a sleep meditation every night with Minaj, who is one of the co-founders. I do Ali's yoga classes a lot. And lately I've been doing a lot of Pilates work with one of the guys on there called Abe. And my booty, I feel like is popping a little bit. So yeah, I want you to check it out. We can do a class together. And if you join us actually this week, you can still catch up on the January challenge. You would just have to clock in more classes to get the 31 in. So what I mean is you can actually do like three classes a day and catch up to complete 31 by the end of January. Check it out. And without further ado, let's dive into this week's interview with Ali Maz. Okay, everybody, I am so excited to be chatting with Ali Maz today. She is the founder of Girlvana Yoga, Lady Vana Retreats, and a founding teacher with the app that I'm obsessed with, Open. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's so funny talking to you because I listen to you all the time on the app. So when to actually see you in real person, you're like, oh my gosh, this is the person behind all the meditations I keep doing. And it's very interesting. It's like a full circle moment right now. I get that a lot. I think, you know, when you're practicing on the app and you have my voice in your, you know, headphones in a certain way, and then you meet that person, you're like, oh, she's real. Yeah. Um, it's not a big person. Here's she is. Well, before we even get into how you got involved with open, I know yoga has been a huge part of your life. Um, like I said, you're the founder of Girlvana and Lady Vana Retreats. Can you take us back to your past and who you were back then before you found yoga? Yeah. So I found yoga around age 19 and I'm currently just turned 35. So yoga has been in my life for 15, 16 years now. Right before I found yoga, I was a dancer. So I had been dancing from age three up until 19 and competitive dance, modern ballet, jazz, tap, like musical theater, all of it. I was a little performer. I had moved to Los Angeles at 18 to pursue a professional dance career. And at that time I was struggling with an eating disorder and the dance industry, especially back then was a pretty gnarly industry to be a part of. And I was really injured. I was dealing with a bad pneumonia. I had come home to Vancouver where I'm from to go to the hospital. And, uh, I just decided to take a break from dance. I just knew that my body needed to heal. And that's how I found yoga so that everyone has a, how I found yoga story. And that was kind of mine. I was definitely in a place where I needed to heal physically and mentally. And then what I didn't anticipate was the emotional healing and then the spiritual awakening that came from yoga. But initially I just knew, what I'm doing is not working for me. I need to try something different. And I just fell in love with yoga. I did not think at that point it was going to be a career. Um, but I fell in love with the practice of yoga. And then a year later, started studying yoga to become my yoga teacher at, at 20. So I've been teaching for 15 years. Wow. Was there any specific style that resonated with you most? I, because I was a dancer and I loved movement and music, I, I was really drawn to vinyasa yoga. And at that time in Vancouver, we had some really brilliant teachers, female teachers that were so embodied and wise. And I really saw myself um, in them. I thought, oh, I want to, I want to be like them. They were such beautiful role models. And I love sequencing and I love the fluid movement. And it felt like 
dancing, but the narrative was so different because in dance, I was always hearing, you know, push harder, more, you know, just be, be better, win, be perfect, get this job. You're always trying to please someone else. And, and yoga is the opposite. It's listen to your body. It's don't push. This is for you. This isn't for anyone else. And so it was a way and an outlet for me that I felt similarly to my dance background, but it provided a much deeper relationship to my body um, that I had not previously had. Yeah, that's super relatable. I know a lot of people have their kind of spiritual and emotional awakening when they do yoga as well, because it does require you to kind of go within and think about, okay, how does this breath link with this movement? And how am I actually... Uh, how do I feel inside, which we don't really do when we're like, you know, at a boot camp class with someone screaming in your ear at 6am with music blasting at volume 100. It's pretty hard to do self reflection. And I feel like yoga offers you that opportunity to go inward. So you said you didn't realize it was going to be a career. So at what point did it click like, wait a second, this might be something I want to do long term. So at that point I was teaching dance. I sort of in my late teens had always been teaching dance as well as dancing. And I, like a lot of people started uh, taking yoga teacher trainings with the intention just to learn. And then once you learn, you're like, wow, I have all this information, this knowledge, I want to share it. So I just started sharing it to the young girls that I was teaching dance to. So they would like rehearse their number. And then I would be like, okay, now we're going to do some yoga poses and we're going to journal. We're going to talk about how we feel. So I was starting to implement some of these more mindful elements into the, to the dancers I was working with. And then it slowly just started to shift from, from that. I was like, okay, well now I just want to teach a straight up yoga class. And so it happened really quickly. Uh, the transition from teaching dance to teaching yoga, and I was kind of balancing both for a while, but ultimately I just felt way, way, way more called to move outside of the dance world and, and into the yoga world. And yoga teacher training is so interesting. Like you said, a lot of people do it just to like learn the basics and maybe expand in their practice. And like you said, you have all this information. What I find interesting about yoga training, I have my certification as well. It's something that you invest usually thousands of dollars into and a lot of time and energy, but you don't learn a lot about how to make it, at least in my experience, a lucrative career or something long-term. It's kind of like, here's the information, you go do what you will with it. And I actually remember my teacher said, if you're in this to make money, you're in the wrong business you actually have now made this your full-time career and obviously make money off of this. Did you have any of that messaging in your training? Like this needs to be free donation based. Don't try to make money off of this. Like what was your experience like? Hmm, that's such a, yeah. I mean, it's a really great conversation. So I probably did, um, I think three, 200 hours. And then I did all my Pilates training and then I, I worked with a, a certain teacher for years and years. So lots of different trainings, lots of different information, but I would say that my first training was definitely not about making money. I mean, there just wasn't even conversation around the business of yoga at all. And I mean, this was also 15 years ago. And so the wellness industry has probably quadrupled in that time. And so I was really, I was teaching dance. I was teaching yoga. I was working at a restaurant. I was kind of trying to balance all of these jobs in order to make ends meet. So that was a part of it for, for a long time and slowly started to, as I grew my, my following and my classes, let go of teaching dance. And then 
as uh, things started to grow a little bit more and I got into retreats and workshops and I let go of restaurants. And so it was a really slow process. It wasn't like I took a training and was making six figures a year. It was like a very slow, slow figuring out. And I mean, at that time, I think my first yoga job, I want to say maybe I got paid $25 an hour, I think. And everyone's like, oh, $25 an hour. It's like, no, you're teaching one class a day. That's not (laughs) like an eight hour day. Um, And then there were times where I was teaching, you know, 22 yoga classes a week just to get by. And so um, it definitely took a long time to stabilize in this career and an important part and piece of this and and important to me is always to acknowledge my privilege within. And I was able to do that because I knew I had a backup and a safety net. I knew I could move home. I knew I could, um, if I needed anything that my parents would be there. And when I get frustrated about when we start to talk about entrepreneurialism is that a lot of people leave out privilege. And so I want to just state for the record that I have privilege and I knew that my parents, A, supported what I was trying to do. And if I couldn't pay my rent, I had the option of moving home. My parents lived in the same city as me. And so um, I think sometimes people skip over those conversations and I think that they're important. Oh my gosh. So glad you touched on that. Context and transparency are like the two pillars of what I love to base conversations around, because like you said, People see the final product, they see the brand partnerships, they see all this stuff without thinking, well, maybe their parents helped them. Maybe they took out a loan. Maybe they had, like you said, a safety net where they didn't have to worry about taking such a big risk because it wouldn't be as risky if you can sleep on your parents' couch. So I really appreciate that you brought that up because it's so important to touch on. Yeah, it's so, it's crucial. And I think too, I mean, I was dancing professionally before I started yoga and in Vancouver, we call Hollywood North. We got a lot of film projects and things that move through Vancouver. And I think right before um, I started teaching yoga, I had done, I, I danced in a, a movie um, and I had made a lot of money on that movie and that allowed me to move to LA. And so there were certain things that funded other things. And, but yeah, there's the, all of those pieces are really important. Um, and I would never want to mislead anyone into thinking that, you know, it wasn't that way because it was in the beginning for sure until I really got on my feet. Right. I mean, for the record, everyone, as we're recording this, I'm literally at my parents' house regrouping (laughs) after traveling. And again, I am lucky that they allowed me to stay here while I get back on my feet to go back out there. So I like to add that to the conversation too. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about all kind of the odd jobs that you had, and then one thing would work out and you could release the other. And like you said, having this privilege that allowed you to keep moving forward. At what point does Girlvana come into the picture? So at age 24, I felt like I was having a dark night of the soul. I'd been teaching yoga for four years and I just felt unfulfilled. And I kind of felt like, okay, well, I thought I was supposed to be a dancer and that didn't work out. And I thought it was supposed to be yoga and this isn't working out. I was kind of having this moment. I was sick again. I was still dealing with an eating disorder, kind of secretly masking it through being vegan and being on green juice cleanses. And I think maybe there's even a word for that now, but you know, when you take these sort of healthy things and, and, and make them, it's just a kind of a covering of an eating disorder. And it was really still a way for me to control through food. So it was kind of doing a lot of the same patterns that I had been doing as a late teen. They were kind of coming to a head again. And I thought like, I need to get my shit together and I really want to live, live a purpose-driven life. And I know that there's something more. And 
it was like midnight. I remember it really, really well. And I was crying in my bed and I was kind of having this moment and I just heard it. It was like, came straight through me and it was like, you have to go back. You have to go back to your teen self and you have to heal this, like go to the root, go to where it started. And so I started doing a lot of that work and I had a therapist at the time and a yoga teacher that I was working with. And a year prior, I had been working at an eating disorder uh, recovery camp as a yoga teacher, which I was still hiding my own eating disorder. And so there was irony in there and sort of universe was like, deal with this. And I had all of this experience with working with young girls and it just felt so clear go back to your teenage self, heal this, all of this unworthiness, all of this perfectionism, all of this and thinking that you're bad and you're wrong and you'll never amount to anything and your body and your face and all these things will never be perfect enough. Go do that work and then go teach that work. And so that was sort of in tandem, the, the, the work I was doing as I was starting Girlvana, I just started going back to my dance studio high schools, starting to bring yoga to young people, which at that time wasn't really happening. Maybe there was some kids yoga going on, but definitely not for teens. And what I started to see was that young girls uh, in the coming of age, 14, 15, were desperate to have conversations about their bodies and body image and getting their periods and sex and parents' divorce and, you know, consent and these challenging things that you deal with at a young age. And yoga was this gateway. It was like, if I could just tell mom and dad or whatever principal, like, oh, this is a yoga class. And we just talk after. And it became this, the yoga was the avenue to really bring young people into relationship with their bodies and then open up a community of girls that were able to really chat about the real stuff. So the inception of Girlvana was essentially just yoga classes wherever I could hold them um, in, in soccer camps or wherever. And then I led the first retreat the next year. Um, and I think we had 10 teenagers from, um, all over Canada had come. And that was the beginning of, of Girlvana as a teen girl yoga retreat. So yeah, that, that was the inception of, of Girlvana and really where it came from. Wow. It's incredible that your own background really played a pivotal role in where the purpose came from. It wasn't just like, oh, I think I could help teenagers. It was like, it almost sounds like you were healing yourself as you were teaching them too. Big time. I mean, I think most teachers will say this, like you teach the thing that you most need to heal. And I was so comfortable in spaces with young women because that's how I grew up. I grew up with a dance studio, you're surrounded by females, but I was used to those environments feeling highly competitive, like highly competitive. Uh, we were all like in tandem eating disorders and, you know, being super bitchy and harsh and like, it just was awful. And I thought, why not be able to create that, you know, bring young girls together with the complete opposite effect. And so, and I think that teenagers are a really hard group to, to touch in with. And there's a lot of, there's a reason why not a lot of people do this work. It's really challenging and it can be really terrifying and their, their bullshit detector is so high. And so the only way I could create trust was to, to tell the truth about my own experience with myself and that was a that was sort of my way in. And I kind of grew up with all of the girls together. So it was pretty magical. And then it gave me purpose. I felt like, OK, I'm not just teaching at an expensive yoga studio with all these like rich people coming in, etc., which was fine. And it was whatever. It paid the bills. But Gralvani really gave my life meaning and purpose. You brought up an interesting point about the dance studios being very competitive and bitchy and cutthroat. 
And I feel like when you're around that, you maybe can't help but take that on as a personality trait. Like, did you notice I'm becoming like a person I don't want to? And did yoga soften that? Or do you think you were always the person you are now? I think that I am I'm way closer to the person. I, there's a there's a question in my book, and it's, it comes from a journaling activity and kind of the basis of Girlvana was, who who were you before the world told you who to be? And I think so much of our journey is reclaiming that because as we kind of come into our, it's happening earlier and earlier now, but you are just you and your pureness and your, your playfulness and your sensitivity and your, you know, it's just so beautiful as a kid. And then all of a sudden you start to get all these messages of how you should act and what you should look like and who you should be in particular for, for women and females. So I think that for me, I was, it was just a protective mechanism. I'm highly sensitive. I've always been that way. And dance felt like a very cutthroat thing. And it was always about growing tougher skin and you need to stop crying. And, you know, this is a hard industry and you need to battle. And yoga did soften a lot of that. It was like, oh my gosh, I have so much armoring around my heart just to protect that little soft person inside. And so, so much of my work and not just with young people, with all of us is, is coming back to who we were before the world told us who to be. Wow. So Girlvana becomes clearly your purpose. It becomes something you love doing. That first retreat sounds like it was really successful. Was it something that you saw like, okay, I could keep going and make this bigger? Or is this something that's like a side hobby? Like what did it start to look like for you? Yeah. So at that point I was teaching at yoga studios all over the city. I was teaching corporate yoga, which a lot of yoga, full-time yoga teachers know often corporate yoga pays you more money than studios. So I had some corporate clients that pay you like probably sometimes quadruple the amount of a studio rate. And so it's more bang for your buck. And a lot of times when you're in that stage of your yoga career, it's just looking at how can I utilize my time and my precious energy to really make this work. So I had corporate corporate clients and then I was teaching yoga at a cafe um, in the evenings doing this yoga dinner program which was amazing um, and really really grew in popularity and then I had Girlvana so I was kind of balancing all of it at that point was yoga it just was sort of different ways to do it and it was manageable and I was young let's also point out this is 10 years ago I had it's a different level of energy I was hungry I was excited you know you need especially as an entrepreneur you need a level of excitement like a deep excitement and, and almost naivety. I was just like, let's try to just do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Girlvana grew from one retreat a year to two retreats a year. And then I had classes in, I used to call it the Robin Hood effect anywhere from, private schools that had big budgets for their gym and PE classes to, you know, youth at risk programs that had zero budget. And so I would do the bigger contracts at bigger schools that had the budget. And then I would volunteer my time in spaces that didn't have a budget. And that was, um, at the end of the day, all young people deserve this work. It doesn't matter depending on, you know, your social economic background, do the richer kids often have more access? Yes. And they still benefit from this, of course. And there are kids that had no idea what breath and body connection look like, feel like. And so I was really trying to reach out to every community possible that I could in Vancouver. Um, so that's what it looked like for years. So you have these retreats going on now. They're clearly making an impact. When does the book 
idea come to fruition? Not for a little bit. So I'm teaching these retreats for young teenage girls. The next piece of it is all the women in my life are going, okay, I've seen these retreats. I want to do this. I want to go away with other women. I want to do arts and crafts and paint and journal and cry and jump in the ocean and do yoga. And so that's how Lady Vana began is like, almost as a joke. I ran one retreat. I was like, we'll call it Lady Vana. It'll be a blast. And the response to it was so huge that Lady Vana became so popular. I think I like at one or two years, maybe I did almost like 10 Lady Vanas within the year weekend retreats. And I was able to create a lot of scholarships for girl Vana through Lady Vana because women would come to those retreats and go, if only I had this work at 15 years old, I would be a different, I probably wouldn't be at this retreat trying to work out my shit. And so we just created a buffer in their registration if they wanted to support girls coming to Girl Vana. And so Lady Vana was really the business that supported the heart work, which was Girl Vana. And so those two businesses ran in tandem that way. And then I was able to start giving up my studio stuff, my corporate yoga and, and run those two businesses. And then at age 26, I met someone named Gian Pablico, and he was doing very similar work, but for boys. In the school system, he had a few different programs. Um, one of the programs was working with immigrant youth and integrating them into the community. He had a really brilliant anti-racism training and a really incredible anti-bullying training. So we were kind of working around each other in the high school systems within Vancouver. And people kept saying to G, you have to meet Ali Maz. You have to meet Ali Maz. So we met, we started creating programs together, co-ed, um, and ended up opening up a studio in Vancouver. We had it for five years and that was called The District. So all of a sudden, Grovana has a home. We have a big warehouse that is yoga and fitness for all ages. All of our after school programs um, are youth based community. It's almost had a community, cool community center vibe. Kids would come do yoga and stick around and do their homework. And it was a really, really special place. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then, so the book deal, did you, did you just decide, I think now that I know so much about this, I'm going to write a book or did someone approach you? Because to me, I know nothing about writing a book and it sounds so intense. I'm so curious about the whole process. So can you yeah, walk us through that? It, so intense. <laughs> um, so at 28, let's call it 29, uh, friends of mine had written a cookbook friends, um, that have a really successful business in Vancouver called the juice truck. They're we're like first to market and like the juice business in, in West coast of Canada. Um, they were writing a cookbook with penguin random house and, uh, they introduced me to this man named Robert, who is the VP of Random House, like one an imprint of Random House. And so they connected me via email and Robert said, hey, Allie, I'd love to meet and connect. And I said, sure. Not really knowing where it was going to lead. And kind of similar to this, he was like, tell me about you. Tell me about Girlvana. And he said, do you think that Girlvana is a book? And I said, yeah, one day in my mind, I thought it would be like, I'm 75 writing about yeah. this time. I don't know. I just didn't think it was going to happen so quickly. And he said, uh, take two weeks and write an outline, which I didn't even know what an outline was. So I had to Google many of these things um, and send it to me. And so I wrote 
table of contents. I wrote an introduction and I wrote a sample chapter and I sent it to him. And then I kind of heard nothing back and I thought, well, that was just a really great process for me to kind of clarify and start to crystallize what this work is. And then he got back to me a few weeks later and he said, oh, great. This is awesome. We're going to Toronto to pitch some titles to like kind of the main headquarters. We'll get back to you. I said, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. And then didn't hear for a while, maybe a couple months. And I thought, no, it's totally fine. It was a great, you know, just nice thing to do. And then I emailed him. I just said, hey, any, I just, it's totally fine. But if there's any feedback, I'd love it. And he said, oh, no, I'm going to, I have a book deal. It's on its way to you. Everyone loved it. Here you go. (laughs) Which I don't think it often happens that way. I was like blown away. And I signed the contract and they gave me one year to write the book, which I thought was plenty of time as someone who doesn't, didn't just know how to write a book. I thought one year, that's so long. It's not that long. Most people who write a book in one year probably are only writing a book in one year, not running like three businesses. Right. Um, and in that time I had met my now husband And so there was a lot of things that went down in that year. I almost lost my father. There was so much going on. Let's just suffice to say I did not finish the book in a year. I have a brilliant editor. Her name is Bhavna. And she was like, oh, after the year, she was like, no one finishes it in a year. So she was like, let's just keep going. So over the course of three and a half, four years, truly was what it took And that's not every single day. That's months. That's leaving it alone for months. That's sending in a draft and then Bhavna having it for months and sending it back. It is such a slow process. Unless, you know, you're writing the hottest bestseller. That's the most timely thing that needs to come out. Generally, these things take a lot of time. And so I finished the manuscript the million drafts later. And the book over that time changed so much. I think originally... I was creating kind of like a cute teen girl's guide to yoga and the finished product is, (laughs) is so much deeper than that. It's really a personal memoir of my own stories. I tell a lot of my girls stories over the years, sort of the amalgamation of characters of young girls dealing with anything from abuse and relationship to self-harm and cutting to coming out of the closet to, you know, anywhere in between really implementing yogic philosophy as a way to support depression and anxiety. There are breathwork exercises, yoga sequences, journaling prompts, space, some workbook space in it. So, and the last chapter is all about activism and acknowledging your privilege and how to really use your voice and show up in the world. So it was a primed book to come out in, in 2021. I think it would have, it wasn't ready in 2016, 2017, 2018, and what young people had to do and deal with during the pandemic. I feel so lucky for the timing of this book. I hear that a lot from writers. They're like, it actually feels like it came out at the right time. You want it to come out earlier and you, like you said, get a little naive, like, oh my God, it'll only take six months to a year. And then it comes out and they're like, it actually worked out with the timing, which sounds like exactly what happened. Big time. Yeah. I know there are probably people listening who want to write a book, including myself. So I have some very specific questions that to go back to like the context and transparency thing, when you said you didn't even know how to write an outline and you just Googled it, 
did you actually trust yourself? Like, this is good enough to go to Penguin Random's house headquarters and get pitched? Or did you have like your writer friends look over it? Or were you like, hey, can anybody check this out before I send it off? Because Googling is amazing, but I would have so many questions. Like, is this even legit before I send it to a professional team? Yeah, I, I had my mom read it (laughs) and that was it. And I sent it. I have no idea. I think that I love writing. I have always loved writing. I felt at that stage, very naively that I was a good writer. And I knew that I would have an editor to help me with, you know, sentence structure and the right grammar, et cetera. Um, but I knew that the content of what this book is, uh, I really trusted it. And I knew that, um, anyone, and I still feel this way, anyone could read it and feel, find themselves in it regardless of age and gender. And so I really, tr- I did, I really trusted it. And I, yeah, I Googled even throughout the process. I still was like, okay, now I've signed the contract and like, no one's going to tell me how to do this. And this is a unique to me. I know some people have ghostwriters and some people's editors do a lot more writing. I feel so lucky for Bobna. It took us longer, but she didn't give me any of the answers. She was a brilliant teacher in that sense. She was like, what do you mean by this? Instead of filling in the blanks for me, Mm. she would make me pull out and pull out every little thing. She's like, I know you understand this, but can some 16 year old somewhere understand this? Can their dad reading this book understand this? And so she always put me back, get, back to the, to the, to the manuscript and keep pulling pieces out. And so she taught me how to write. I really believe that I kind of have these flowery, you know, like Carrie Bradshaw ideas of me sitting in New York at the coffee shop writing it was much harder than that, but I feel really grateful that she, instead of t- telling me what to do, she, she encouraged, uh, openings in the writing and it took us a long time to figure out the format because it's a different kind of book. So finding the, the, it starts with a girl's story. Then it comes into my own personal memoir. Then it, it, it dives into a yogic principle, which are known as the yamas. There's five of them. And so it starts with a himza, which is nonviolence. And then we go into the way we talk to ourselves and treat ourselves. So it's really deep and, and, and um, kind of steeped in yoga philosophy. And then it's a yoga, a breath work and a journaling prompt. And it goes from body, mind, heart, um, and then into uh, your your action. And so it took a long time to refine what that looked like and a, a lot of tries, many, many tries. Yeah. I mean, you said the deadline was a year and it, I think you said it took three to four years. So my question too is you're the person who signed the other part of the contract, like, Allie, where is this book? You you owed it to us years ago, or did you just kind of be, I'm working on it. I get an extension. Like what are the logistics of that? Yeah. I felt really ashamed, um, in that first year. I mean, I did send a draft and it just wasn't there. And I felt like, Oh, it's, I I did this wrong. And I'm going to, and, and what I know now is that, you know, yeah, these deadlines are put there for a reason and most people don't hit them. And uh, anytime I would hit a deadline, cause I would get deadlines. I'd hit that deadline and I'd send it. And then Bhavna would be, she's also editing a bunch of other books. And so mine would get pushed to for six more months. I wouldn't see it come back. And so, you know, a year seems like a really long time, but you've maybe touched your draft twice in that year because it's coming back. And again, this is, 
me as a junior author with a small imprint within Penguin, maybe I think a lot of people's experiences are different, but that was mine. And so it just took as long as it took. And then when it's done, 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 then we start design and font and photography and is this header in the right place? And that took a year. That was so tedious. And then when that's done, then you decide, okay, well, when does it actually, what, what would make the most sense to come out? We chose June 15th, 2021, kind of as like a post-school summer read, back to school, new year, like kind of trying to hit on that time. And so, yeah, it's such a lengthy process. And my whole life changed in that time. The stu- I closed the studio I moved to Nicaragua where my, where I had met my husband. Um, he was running a hotel, um, in Southern Nicaragua. The country went through big civil unrest. We closed the hotel. We fled the country to Costa Rica. Then we moved to New York. We got married. Then we moved to LA. Like our lot, my life has changed a hundred times since the book has come out. Uh, I feel like I've lived a million lifetimes. So it's just been an interesting process to, to, to see it all from the time I signed to, to holding it in my hand. I mean, the amount of patience, it seems too like, because again, I'm imagining me right now, if I want to write a book, my mind is like, I want it to be out in six months maximum. And so I would want to be like, okay, editor, get it back. I want to keep going, keep going. And then it's just like you said, oh, well, they're editing other things. We have to wait six more months. Now we got to go back to the drawing board, redo it. Like, was there ever a time where you're just like, this is way too much and like hard. Did you ever want to yeah. be like, maybe I should make this something else? It's the hardest thing I've ever done uh, in my career. Uh, is is It's also, uh, yeah, writing is hard. Editing is hard. Getting other people's opinion about your work is hard. And then crystallizing. It's like, you sure you want to say that? Like Because by the time the book comes out, you haven't touched those words in almost a year. Like you're not making final edits to the two weeks that the book comes out. Uh-uh. Like I think I had to be done, done touching the draft this time last year. And the book came out June 15th. So even mm. if I wanted to, you can't. So just even to think about that, like every word is final and you know how things go. You change your mind. The world changes and especially in this, this type of work, I'm working with Gen Z now. And, you know, even the idea of creating a book for girls, for teen girls and finding the right language. Okay. Well, it's not teen girls. Are we, um, is it self-identified females, female, female identifying young people? Is this book inclusive enough to include trans girls that like, there's so many pieces of this. And, and I just have to be okay with like, the language is going to keep changing. And I think that there is a universal experience of young people connecting to themselves through this work that some stuff is going to age out, of course, just like we used Facebook and now they use TikTok, you know, like <laughs> these things, the words are going to change, but the underlying message is still there. But that was a really hard thing for me to write and grapple with is how can I make something feel relevant and timeless <laughs> mm, Yeah, for a generation that is wildly vocal and progressive? Oh yeah. Not, I always not love I'm like, Gen Z is like shaking up the world. It is insane. Yes. (laughs) I would have had a much easier time. And I am, I do. I want to write Lady Vanna and I've already started writing, but I think I have more now to say to our generation, you know, like going through your twenties and your thirties. And I almost feel like, no, I don't know if it'll be easier, but now that I have the format and the structure and I kind of know, but yeah, writing a book for young people is not, is not easy. 
And no joke. like I said, it's the world has changed a hundred times since, since the inception of, of starting Girl Vana and then saying yes to this book. Oh my gosh. I want to touch on the, the money piece again too, because this is the part of entrepreneurship no one talks about. People talk about they had the big dreams and the big appetite and the motivation and things clicked and they met the right people. I never hear about people talk about going from really making ends meet month to month to a big break happening. And you're like, oh my God, I, I now have a lot of money or I am about to come into a lot of money. Did that happen for you where it was like one big paycheck or one big contract that you're like, holy shit, this is a lot of money. Or was it just like, I'm just curious how you went from making the $25 a yoga class to then realizing I need to make a little more money to sustain myself and actually make this a long-term career. And at what point were you starting to make a lot of money? Because that's a stark difference, $25 an hour, maybe one or two classes a week to then all of a sudden maybe getting a big private school contract and a book deal. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, <laughs> what I'm learning is there's not a lot of money to be made in the publishing world, unless you wrote eat, pray, love and you're Elizabeth Gilbert. Like my book deal was small. And, um, and what I realized too, like about book advances, like the only time you start making money off of your books is once the book makes sells the amount of your advance. And then you start making a teeny, 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 tiny percentage off every book. Like, and I'm sure that people have much, much larger book deals than, than I did, but it's, I think that there's maybe a misunderstanding in the publishing world too, that it's like book deals are these massive things. And if I take the book advance and in, in stretch that over the five years it took to come out. I mean, it's pennies probably. <laughs> so, but I think that for me, the, the shift in when I felt like, okay, wow, I can really support myself doing this was Lady Vanna. I, I was so entrenched of the work of holding space for big, big work and conversations and healing for young people. And then for women that taking that from a weekend retreat into a week long retreat and in, in, in Panama and Nicaragua and in all of these places. And the retreat business was something that was really started to, um, be more lucrative and could create and, and really like, oh gosh, like really create these beautiful experiences around surf and ocean and beach and, and community. Um, and then that grew into starting to lead my own yoga teacher trainings. So coming kind of full circle to where it started. And so the, the trainings and the workshops and the retreats versus the classes and the studio and the book deal, et cetera, were really where I was able to sustain. And then I also started to create more freedom. If I could lead a teacher training for the month of October, then I could come home and rest, which was mind blowing for me after, you know, 10 years of cranking every single day, but it takes time to build reputation. I see a lot of young teachers that want to teach yoga teacher trainings. And I'm like, uh, -uh. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> you know, like cut your teeth in this industry and, and stay a student, um, and, and learn, 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 learn. Um, and so the teacher trainings came at a time where I felt like I actually had something to share and I really had a different point of view. And, um, my partner in yoga teacher training, is this woman, Ash Brodeur, who is a licensed therapist and her work is in restorative yoga and massage and hands-on touch and consent. So her work is super powerful, kind of the, I'm more of the yang vinyasa movement anatomy. And she kind of is in the softer, um, 
kind of more subtle body stuff and the therapy piece is really beautiful. And then we were bringing in a woman named Michelle Cassandra Johnson, who wrote a book called Skill in Action, which is she's really an anti-racist. She's like, to me, the queen of yoga, the intersections of social justice work and yoga. And so we were bringing her in. So just a lens of, you know, decolonizing a lot of the yoga space, because I recognize also that I'm a white, thin bodied individual in the yoga space and that the industry is always catered to women who look like me. And again, it's another conversation of privilege. I've had a lot of success because I look like the yoga industry and I'm also a part of changing that and shifting that. And so we had a really unique point of view, I think, for our teacher trainings. So it felt right to bring that into the world. So then I became a global yoga ambassador for Lululemon and was on contract and salary with them. And so things just started to, yeah, just happen and grow um, and grow and grow. So that's kind of going from being paid $25 an hour. And I say to new teachers, like it does, it takes time and you want to build legitimacy and you want to keep learning and training and, and paying, paying your dues. I mean, I was teaching for free. I was doing whatever I could until things started to click into place. And that probably took, yeah, I would say six years of teaching, seven years of teaching. Well, it seems like you also at some point developed a really strong sense of business and economics. Like when you were saying you could create scholarships from one business to funnel and support the other. Did you learn that along the way? Did you have a business mentor? Because again, people want to attract money and know how to make money, but then they have no idea how to manage it or where to put it or how to invest it into the business. Uh, this happened with me. I made a lot of money on my first course launch and I was like, oh my God, I can go shopping. And that's like what I did. I was like, whoa, I should have invested that back into a team and a business. And now literally a year later, I'm learning the importance of understanding pricing and investing in your team and investing in your business. When did you pick that up along this journey? Oh, yeah, it takes a lot of time. I mean, I remember when I got my first paycheck from my first like big dance gig and I was like, shopping. <laughs> uh, I was like, I have money. Um, but I didn't, you know, I, I just thought it, it felt like I did. I think that for all those years, just running things so lean and so scrappy, I just it, uh, working so hard. It was like, there was no choice, but to keep investing it back into the business. And I had a lot of people along the way that were, were smart and had ideas. And what about this? And what about this? I had a business manager for a while, Nico Arnett, who, she had a baby moved close to where my studio was. She had run restaurants and businesses before, and we would just go for walks in the morning. And she said, I can, I can help. I can support and um, put some systems in place for my yoga studio at the time, which we really needed and really allowed me to see, okay, here's, I know all you want to do is teach teenage girls yoga, but there's not a lot of money to be made in this, but here's your moneymaker. Lady Vana is the moneymaker. Women, that are like working successful women need to go away to the island, you know, for three days and, and reconnect and want to help young people. Like there's your opportunity to, to generate revenue and feed it back into your business. And so, um, just became savvier and smarter over, over so much trial and error. And I think what's important to note is that I ran most girl Bonner retreats at a total loss, a totally out of pocket. And it didn't, I was just like, okay, cool. Like I love this and this matters. And I know I was going to find a way to make it work. So yeah. And then I started to get really interested in teaching the business of yoga. So I was starting to be hired for yoga festivals to talk about these things. And I mean, I had a yoga Facebook page when I was 24, 
three or something to share my yoga playlist. And everyone in the yoga community thought that was like blasphemy because no one was promote like yoga. You weren't a brand at that, at that stage of the wellness industry. And for me, it was just a way to make a playlist. People love my playlist. So I could share them. And then they followed me on the Facebook page and then I could share a workshop and it became just a way for me to share what I was doing. And so I was already sort of always kind of building a brand around it. And I innately always understood that maybe from the dance industry, it was like, I don't care who you are, you're a brand. I know that can feel icky, but the, the more you can embrace that, and I can take the Ali Maz hat off at the end of the day, you know, but I do understand that their Girlvana is a brand. These are brands. These are businesses and they're heart centered businesses and they make a difference and they matter. And I do believe that, you know, our, our passion can become our, our work and, and the thing that fuels us can also pay our bills. It just, it just takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up too. that. Even, you know, sharing with us that, Girlvana was running at a total loss at some point, because again, people think just because you had an idea and executed it, that you were automatically making a shit ton of money from it. I'm like, that rarely happens. It's usually after doing it five, six, seven, maybe even 10 or 20 times, you're like, okay, the 20th time it clicked. Now it's the thing that can sustain me. So it's important. I think I'm glad that you shared that piece of it. Totally. And you don't like, I didn't even know what margins were. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like you charge this much money and cost this much. And the, I was just, yeah, I had no idea. I didn't go to, I didn't go to college. I barely graduated <laughs> high school. Like I did not know what these things meant, but I was desperate to find a way. And I was lucky my mom and, and my mom still does help too with little things with Girlvana, but she would do my bookkeeping. We'd sit down and she'd make me go through every single receipt and what's this charge and it was like pulling teeth but I think a lot of creative people feel like that's not me and I don't have that business side and I knew that it's not totally innate in me but I knew that I had to learn it in order to be successful and so I uh, so I learned <laughs> um and over time it becomes easier and 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 then you build your brand and your name for yourself and then you become more in demand and then you can charge more and you know and the beautiful thing with Girlvana now is that I, I'm not looking for it to to pay my bills anymore and so when I moved to New York I was able just to offer so much for free and volunteer and be in high schools and Queens and all over New York and really just be able to support. And then other big brands that have lots of money then want to give you yoga mats and water bottles and all these things where you can, um, you know, so work within these, these places that have way more resources than I ever did running a small business. And so that's what it starts to become is that other people want to support it. And that's been really beautiful. Oh, I love that. It makes things easier. <laughs> yeah. The support, the help, of course, you know, makes things easier. And again, the fact that you put in the time and made it a heart centered business that what this never once has sounded like, how can Ali blow up and become a yoga influencer was never part of the plan. No, no. If anything, I'm like, well, it makes me want to throw up. And I, <laughs> um, and I've had lots of people approach me to buy Girlvana or to invest or to scale, scale, scale. And for Girlvana, it's just never felt correct. It, it just feels like this, this thing that is my heart. Um, and I grapple with, uh, all of that so much and that the older I get, the more I want to pull away and like live a quieter life. And, um, it's funny. I, I really grapple with all of those things. I don't know what it, it totally looks like next, but I've had a lot of opportunities to do things that were a lot bigger and it just hasn't felt right. I just, I can't, I don't want to sell out. I want to just stay true to the work and, and, um, and that's kind of how I ended up finding my way 
to open is really felt like for the first time I was aligning myself with a brand that felt really connected to, um, all the things that I love and, um, stepped away and from an, another bigger deal somewhere else that didn't feel right. And, and stepped into startup land, tech startup land to be specific in order to build something that I really believe in. Yeah. I was going to ask, I know you mostly from the open app and hearing your voice on the meditations. And so obviously at some point open comes into your life. Can you tell us about that story? Like how did you connect? How did you end up becoming a founding teacher? So I, okay. So I meet my husband in Nicaragua. We leave, we move to New York, we get married. I immigrate from Canada to the U S which takes a very long time. At that point, uh, it took me a year to get my green card. So you can't leave the country and you can't work, which was very challenging, but it allowed me to slow down, finish the final draft of the book. I get my green card finally can work. COVID hits. <laughs> I fly home to Vancouver, uh, like March 6th, maybe, or like right before the world shuts down, not knowing it would to film a bunch of YouTube videos for Lululemon and then the borders close. And so I get stuck in Vancouver for three months while my husband is in New York. Just a funny, weird time. Like all of us just trying to get through COVID. I came back to New York in June of 2020 and I was doing Zoom, like most yoga teachers pivoted. And I was teaching two Zoom classes a week during COVID, pay what you can. And I had like almost 500 people in those Zoom classes a week. And so I was just, again, found a new way to pivot and making great money through Zoom and was able to support my husband and I because he had lost his job through COVID. And Minaj, who is one of the co-founders of Open and who was a global ambassador with me at Lululemon, um, we had met a couple times. He reached out and he said, hey, I'm doing this thing and it's called Open. And I kind of thought, I said like, well, I don't know. How is that different from what I'm doing on Zoom? Like I'm not working, I'm working less than I've ever worked in my life, making more money than I've ever <laughs> made. And it, it's, it's just, just great. So like, I'm good. And uh, he was like, no, really, you need to check out the platform. And, and, um, and so I did. And I was like, okay, wow, this is a really beautiful technology. I've never seen anything like it. This is so different than Zoom, like wildly, wildly different. And I was like, okay, I'm interested. And he was like, we are in San Francisco in a version one studio. We're building a studio in Venice. I had always had dreams of moving back to LA and, and being closer to my family on the West Coast. And so I just took a leap of faith. And in that time I was, Lululemon was, was trying to, we we're trying to figure all of it out. If I was going to stay with Lululemon or, um, I had an opportunity to work with the mirror, which is another piece of, you know, fitness tech that just didn't feel correct. And it was a really challenging and hard decision. So I took all summer to think about it and was in a position to really, yeah. Um, trust my instincts again and follow my heart. And I knew that this path was maybe going to be a bit trickier and more challenging versus something that was already very established and said yes and um, moved to San Francisco first for two months. And then we all relocated to LA and it's been such an incredible year to see like we are out of stealth mode. Now we're talking about open to the world. We have world-class teachers, incredible content, and I get to be myself. And I think this is the first time where I've worked with another company where I've really, really been able to be exactly who I am and, um, and still keep Girlvana and I do Girlvana workshops on open. And so there was just a lot of synergy there. And I think in 
being accessible and inclusive are two things that are so important to me in this industry. We're $20 a month. Um, we do a lot of scholarships too, especially for the young people in my life that maybe can't afford that. Um, it really is mindfulness for all. And I think a lot of the wellness industry is still for the affluent, able-bodied and white. Uh, and I wanted to join a company that's founded by three men of color um, with a diverse team of teachers um, that creates access to these practices in a very real way. So it's been a really incredible year of learning and growing and building. And I feel like really grateful. And I know that I made the right choice, even though it was challenging and ultimately feeling really good at this, this stage of the game. Yeah. It's an incredible app. Like you said, the technology is amazing. I think when people hear mindfulness app, they do think of headspace or calm or insight timer, or all these other ones that exist for you. What was the draw that you're like, well, how is this different from those apps? And why would I join this when there are very similar apps that exist. Yeah. I mean, I've never been a headspace calm insight timer gal at all. I don't know why they just, I never really felt drawn, um, by them. I think what was really exciting in the beginning with open is, um, I'm a very, I'm a Libra. I'm like very, uh, I love the things that are aesthetically really beautiful. So I was really Visuals. drawn in by the way, <laughs> the visual brand look just at the beginning, there's such a deep dedication to uh, music and the way we collaborate with musicians and artists. That was really exciting because all of my yoga classes are incredibly music driven and coming from my dance background. So I would say those are the two things that I was like, oh, this just looks different. We built this proprietary technology. So our Social tech is incredible. The way people interact in the chat box and live, you can turn your camera on. The teacher can see you teach to you. And so, you know, coming through COVID and it feeling so lonely, we created something that really felt like a real life in class experience. And I just feel like there's just, de there's more depth. I really felt like we wanted to say something more than just close your eye, like just your kind of base level of, of, of bringing people in. We're able to actually provide a lot of depth. And the third piece of it is breath work. I was trained in pranayama, which is a yogic style of breathing in my early career, but transformational breath work was something that was new to me when I joined open and have since done a bunch of training and facilitate active breath work. And I've fallen so deeply in love with it and no one is doing it in the way that we're doing it. And so I feel like that's been a huge next piece of my, my teaching is facilitating breathwork journeys for people. And so we're doing it live, we're doing it on demand and we're doing it in person here in Venice. And so I've been loving that as well. Yeah. The, the visual element, like you said, is a big draw. It's so easy to navigate, but then I love how there is different styles. There's different times. There's, you can pick like with the category, is this for anxiety relief? Is this for gratitude? Is this like a lesson of the day on top of it? Practicing solo, practicing with friends, practicing live. Like there are so many options. And I, what for me really drew me into was it is more all in one. I don't have to go to a separate app to do Pilates and then another one to do meditation and then another one to do yoga. It's like, boom, all in one studio with different teachers, because some of the apps that exist 
are built by one instructor. And so you're just listening to that same instructor over and over and over where I feel like open, you get to choose from a variety of people plus the with music, without music. It's almost like whatever option you're looking for, you can probably find on open and the timeframes and the, um, again, the like feelings that you're looking to emulate. I love that because there are times where I wake up. The reason I really fell in love with open is I went through a breakup over the summer and I kept waking up with crazy anxiety. I would go to, I could not sleep. And I'm like, I need something to help me get through this. And I heard about open and I would do the breath work in the morning and the, my anxiety would calm down. I would listen to Minaj's unwinding road meditation, pass out before the 15 minutes were even up. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is the thing. It, it didn't seem that impactful at the time, but I'm like, those little practices every day are what actually helped me. And I was abroad during a pandemic. So I had like no support or anything. So I'm like, this app is like the only thing that's really helping me right now. So I just had to throw that out there that I credit open a lot for getting me through that really chaotic time. Oh, that's so, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love hearing how people use the app and I do, I think that like you said, at every point of the day, like waking up with us, going to bed with us, like little midday hit. And do you need to move your body? Do you need to downregulate through breath? Do you need to meditate? Like it's really all there. And, um, it's just the beginning. I always tell people, I'm like, we just, we just got started. Like we really like we launched the app, like, you know, really softly last year. And, um, in that time have built 400 pieces of content for on demand. We have 50 live classes per week. Like there's just so much there and it's 20 bucks a month. So it's like, it's, it's for most people, a no brainer. And if it isn't, we can help you with that. But I really feel like it's, um, it's just something that is, is really helping people. And that's, that's always been the journey for me. All of these stories that I've said is just like, I want to give the tools to people to come back home to themselves and just these little reminders, these little ways to, to come back in, um, and remember who you are and heal and connect and, um, open has provided me an even bigger platform to do that. And that's why I said yes. And I think I'm at this stage where I've been kind of solo alone. I've had lots of help over the years, but kind of driving my own businesses. And I, I knew that I wanted to be a part of a team again and, and be a team player and build something all together. And, and that's why I said, said yes. And there's something really nice at this stage of the game to, you know, as COVID hit and travel kind of went away, like, you know, it killed a lot of my business. And I think that now I'm like, oh, it's travel's coming back and all of these things. But I really wanted to choose stability and steadiness and, and grounded and being here. And I don't want to be away for six weeks for my husband. I, I used to be on the road so much traveling and teaching. So it's just been really nice to in a new phase of my life, which has been really grounding. It's so interesting. It's, it's grounding working at a startup tech company. Like those are usually (laughs) two things you don't hear together. (laughs) You know what? I think, I mean, life is always preparing us for the next stage and building my own businesses has really allowed me to keep up with like the chaotic pace of, of tech startup. And given all of the experience and time in this industry, I have way better at at taking care of myself and not burning out and the ways that I, I have way more boundaries and I, I know the things I need. I know how to say no. And I'm not perfect at all the time. I definitely have my moments where I'm like, Oh, I overdid it, but I'm not shaming myself. I'm, I'm finding compassion for myself and the, and the times that I'm overdoing it. And, um, 
and I feel really power. I feel empowered. I, I do work with a, a lot of men, um, and I feel really powerful in my voice. And I, I love speaking up, and I love giving a different perspective to, you know, to the tech world and to the masculine. And I really like the balance that I that I get to bring with Open. I love that. Yeah, Open is incredible. For anybody listening, you actually can do a trial, which I'll put in the show notes. So if that's what got me into it, I was like, Good. let me see what the hype's all about. And it was a 30 day yes. trial. And after 15 days, I was like, okay, this is what I've been needing. So yeah, do the trial. I say that to everyone. I'm like, it's 30 days. It's free. Uh, just see it. If you don't use it, then fine, but just, just give it a shot. It's there. Um, and then just see, I mean, it's interesting for someone that is so involved. I still use the product every single day. I'm still listening to George's bedtime <laughs> story. I'm still listening to, or doing Abe's Pilates class. Like I love the app. I use it as, as a student, as a practitioner. I love, I just love it. It's amazing. So I know you guys said you're just getting started and I know you also just received a huge amount of funding. So that clearly shows that you're not the only one that's obsessed with it. So I know you probably can't reveal too much, but is there anything on the horizon for open or your business ventures? I'm like, what can I tell you? I, th- I don't know if this is a secret or not. I don't think so. I mean, we've been doing pop-ups in, in Venice. We have uh, our production studios here, and then we have um, kind of a, a small community space where we were doing in person. I mean, open originally started, um, before the pandemic hit, um, really wanting to lead with the studios. And then we ended up building the digital product a lot faster, um, because one of our co-founders, Peter is a genius. Um, and so our product is so beautiful, but the in-person experience is something that matters to us so much at open and breathwork in particular and sound, um, experiences, singing bowls, gong chimes, etc. Um, that experience I love is so powerful. And so we're, we're looking at, um, different locations to start building. Um, so yeah, in person in a bigger way in 2022, and then just more, more classes, more content, more teachers, um, kind of sky's the limit. So, um, and just deepening all of this knowledge we're talking about right now, there's all these favorite meditations like, Oh, I love held. That's five minutes. Can it be 10 minutes? Can it be, can I have a 15 minute one of this? And so we're looking at even now that we have like favorite pieces of content, how we build on the things that people are loving. Cause we finally have feedback. Cause you're creating all the stuff you don't know. You don't have a community yet. And then all of a sudden we're really learning from all of you, what you love and how to create more of what, what you all love. I love that. Well, just for the record, I love the sleep meditations. I always have the hardest time sleeping and those ones knock me out completely. We we have a big emphasis right now on all sleep content. So there's much more coming. I'm so happy to tell you that it's all, it's all coming. So yeah, definitely always share feedback. We're we're always, always listening. We want to know what you all want. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Everyone book your tickets to LA for next year. So we can all be at the open space together. This sounds like so much fun. I have had such an incredible time talking to you. Where can everybody find your work and get in touch and buy the book? Like, let us know the the whole spiel. All the things. So I'm Allie Maz on Instagram, A-L-L-Y-M-A-Z. And then Girl Vana Yoga is also on Instagram. And then the book is like available where books are sold. Um, So like support your independent bookstores. You can always ask your independent bookstores to carry the book. And then what I'm also learning about the publishing industry too is that Amazon is the biggest book dealer in the world. And so leaving, buying and leaving reviews on Amazon um, really gives the book a lot of credit and clout. So I was always like, don't buy it on Amazon. But 
and all the authors in my life are like, you need to tell people to buy your book on Amazon <laughs> and give it and give it a review. So I don't know. I feel mixed about that, but it's it's on Amazon. It'll get to your house tomorrow if you want to read it. And then we're just open.com. And in between all the letters, there's just a dash O dash P dash E dash N. Um, and then I think, do you have a promo code? I have a promo code. It's just Ally32. So whatever, or if your promo code works, 30 yes. days free. I'd love to see you um, all on, on the app and in class. Yes. I feel like for my listeners, we should do a like meditation challenge or something and do practice together. That would be really fun. Yeah, you can do that. You can invite all of your listeners to to the time you want to take a class. You can all be in there together. So um, love that. I would love I would love that too. Yeah. Okay. Stay tuned, everyone. We're gonna set this up. And Ali, you have been such an incredible guest. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a it's a joy to to speak about all of these things and, and tell my story. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. Of course. Thank you. Oh, what a gem, huh? Allie was such a fun person to talk to because you can tell she's just really, really embodied in who she is. She's very confident. She's very transparent. She's very fun and friendly. I had such a good time talking to her and I learned a lot and I hope you did too. Whether that's about writing a book or turning your business into something viable or knowing that it takes a lot of resiliency and grit to be in the entrepreneurship game, whatever it is, I hope you found value. And if you did, please leave a review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, you can now actually rate us. So just go to Spotify and hit the five stars and on Apple podcasts, just scroll down to the part where it says, write a review, and then you can write and leave a rating. So as a thank you, you'll be entered into a giveaway to win a year long subscription to open. And if you just heard this interview, it's probably something that you'll want for an entire year. So all you have to do is take a screenshot and send it to at Chelsea Rife or info at chelsearife.com and I'll pull the winner at the end of January. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to check out the show notes so you can connect with Ali as well as myself. I'm at Chelsea Rife and at non-expert opinion pod. You can always write into info at chelsearife.com and you can submit a question. So if you want a question answered on air, go to the link in my bio at Chelsea Rife and you can submit a question to the podcast which I'll answer on air. I think that's going to be a really fun segment once we get that going. Be sure to check out the link in my show notes as well so you can try it open for 30 days. Just a reminder, there's a January challenge going on and you can still catch up. You do not have to start on January 1st. You just have to clock 31 classes by the end of January. So yeah, join me. And if you're in Venice, go to their studio. They actually have a studio there. I can't wait to go visit LA so I can go hit the studio because it looks incredible. And like I said, I'm a cult fan. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. 